Philip Yancey in his brand new book, Rumors of Another World, tells of one day surfing the internet and stumbling onto a website, www.notproud.com. At this particular website, anonymous visitors log on and post confessions of their sins. I want you to listen to these unknown, as Yancey calls them, voices of sadness and remorse. We'll put them on the screen in their actual spelling and grammar. These appear on the website. One anonymous visitor wrote, If I could smack every co-worker and take their responsibilities and salaries, I'd do it. If I could take all the competitors' incomes and services, I'd do it. If I could hit your face and steal your wallet without looking you in the eye, I would do it. Another visitor. Sloth. I should be working now, but I am doing this instead. <laughs> Another posted confession. This one will pull tug at your heartstrings. When my father was in a mean psychiatric. When my father was in a psychiatric hospital after a suicide attempt, I would not visit him in order to get back at him. Here's one from a college student. I go to college. I use the money I should have spent on housing to buy dope, alcohol, entertainment, and food. I am bad. I know it. But stopping is so Hard. A couple more. I wish I was rich. I want to buy things I don't need with money I can afford to waste. One more. I want one laptop, one cool flip phone, one Mercedes, two beers every day for the rest of my life, and one million bucks in my bank account. That's it. All I want. wonder what that sin would be. Do they still call it greed? Some dear anonymous soul three or four weeks ago stopped by the church office and dropped off the latest American Demographics magazine for me to read. I'm sure he or she was certain I would be intrigued with the cover story. Here's the title of the cover story. The About to Be's, a new adult generation on the cusp of it all. It's a fascinating examination of America's 21-year-olds. You might be, you fellow 21-year-olds, interested to know that this year alone, 4.1 million Americans turn 21. This year. How much money will this new generation spend? According to their estimates, about, hold on to your seats, about 187 billion dollars will be spent by America's 21-year-olds. And if you chart it, estimate it over the course of their lifespan, they are now saying consumer spending for this generation will total, in the end, an estimated $10 trillion. Consumerism. Obviously, it's not just America's young, America's old. In fact, the entire Western world is riddled, riddled with this incessant drive to accumulate more and more and more. How did, how did that uh, person put it? I want one laptop, 
one cool flip phone, one Mercedes, two beers every day for the rest of my life, and one million bucks in my bank account. That's it. That's all I want. So what is it you want for yourself this Thanksgiving? You say, wait a minute, it's not Christmas yet. We're not supposed to be thinking about what we want. I wish somebody would figure out who it was that started Christmas this year in the month of October. Have you been able to figure that out? What is up with that? Even the Adventist Book Center has been bitten by this bug. What is it this year? We might as well start talking about what we want. What is it that you don't already have enough of that you want more of in this season when we're supposed to be reflecting on the already much we already have? Greed. America's Faustian bargain with consumerism. Got to have it. Got to have more and more and more. Until three months ago, Wall Street Journal, in a book review, I read these words, put it on the screen for you, marketing and advertising find themselves in a 21st century bar fight where 60 to 70% of what we buy, you and me, is discretionary at the grocery store, get this, at Walmart and at the shopping mall, roughly two-thirds of what we purchased, we had no intention of buying when we walked in the door. Two-thirds of our shopping. We didn't intend. Got to have it. Got to have more and more and more. This Thanksgiving, for one moment, I wish you would ponder with me a radical credo, a motto, that if we embrace, if we will embrace this motto, I believe it will actually set our hearts free from this greedy consumerism. It is a most counter-cultural credo. Coming down through the ages from a most counter-cultural man. You may have heard of him before. His name, John the Baptist. I want to share a line with you. If you'll open for this homily, your Bible, to the Gospel of St. John. Not John the Baptist, the other John's writing. But he's quoting John the Baptist. Open, please, to John chapter 3. One line. One line. John 3, let's read verse 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. There it is, ladies and gentlemen, a credo of radical selflessness, radical unselfishness. Who's the he that's supposed to increase? It actually can be anybody, really, although, as we noted last, uh, last Sabbath, John here is referring to Jesus. But in fact, anybody in need can be that he, which is why the he could be a she. And we could be saying this morning, she must increase and I must decrease. Because there are a lot of he's and she's who desperately need this Thanksgiving season to be increased in their lives. Seven weeks ago, the Census Bureau of the United States released new numbers to indicate that for the second year in a row, our poverty rate has increased. Last year, 1.7 million more Americans fell below the poverty level. The grand total now for this affluent nation, 34.6 million Americans are living in poverty. 12.1 million of those are children. Children. Do you know how many? Of those live in Benton Harbor, 
The answer is too many. This week alone, our church telephones rang off the hook with 232 families being called in to our offices, families in need just of food in Benton Harbor. And in a few moments, you and I are going to have an opportunity to respond to those calls, either tangibly or in cash. They must increase. While a whole lot of us on this campus and in this community, we must decrease. It is the countercultural credo of anti-consumerism. More and more for them. Please, oh God, more for me for them. Less and less for me. He must increase. I must decrease. G.K. Chesterton, the well-known English writer of the last century, once said, there are two ways to get enough. One is to continue to accumulate more and more. The other is to desire less. Maybe this year, as we give thanks to God in this Thanksgiving season, we, maybe we might ask Him to help us ask this time. Ask for less. Two ways to get enough. One is to continue to accumulate more and more. The other is to desire less. He, they, she must increase. I am the one who must decrease. I want to end with a story. One of Langdon Gilkey's stories that he shares in his memoirs of that dark chapter of his life when as a young university professor he was incarcerated World War II in a prison camp in China. He recalls this story. The name of the camp and also the title of his book, which I have read, is Shantung Compound. Gilkey remembers this particular episode. I want to close with it. Actually, Philip Yancey shares the story and very succinctly summarizes about 20 pages in Gilkey's book. So I'm going to, with your permission, read uh, Yancey's Reader's Digest version of the story. Yancey begins with an editorial line of his own. Greed exerts its power on those who have little as well as those who have much. Some of us are thinking, well, you know, I'm poor. This, does not, this, this little homily doesn't cross my path. Oh, no. Greed affects us all, poor or rich. Now, here we go. The memoir, Shantung Compound, includes Langdon Gilkey's account of sharing a prison camp with other foreigners during Japan's occupation of China in World War II. Food supplies shrank so that eventually, get this, each prisoner received only 1,200 calories per day. That would be six slices of bread, boiled water, and a bowl of stew. All the prisoners were losing weight and feeling malnourished. They dreamed of little else than food. And then the day came. Hallelujah. One day, a shipment of 200 parcels arrived from the American Red Cross, one for each American prisoner. The Americans felt that they had struck gold. Each 50-pound parcel contained a pound of powdered milk, four tins of butter, three of Spam, one pound each of cheese, chocolate and sugar, as well as cans of powdered coffee, jam, salmon, and a package of dried prunes or raisins. Gilkey recalls, and these are Gilkey's words, after a diet made up largely of bread, low on meats and oils, and lacking in sweets of all sorts, in fact, without real taste, Fifty pounds of this sort of rich, fat-laden, and tasteful food was manna from heaven. In addition, Yancey goes on, 
in addition to the food, the parcel supplied much needed clothing, far more than the Americans could use. And so they generously distributed the extra food and clothes to the more numerous prisoners of other nationalities. But the plot thickens. Six months later, all right, all the food was gone and conditions had deteriorated. Winter had set in and morale in the camp hit an all-time low. A few days after Christmas, whoa, a donkey train suddenly appeared at the gates like a mirage, bearing more Red Cross parcels, this time too numerous for the prisoners to quickly count. The Japanese commandant cataloged 1,550 parcels in all and calculated that he could distribute one parcel to each of the 1,450 prisoners and with 100 left over, an extra half parcel to the 200 Americans. Joy and excitement gripped the camp. Gilkey writes, it was as though everyone were living through every Christmas Eve of his lifetime, all rolled up into one. However, the next morning, to their dismay, the prisoners read a notice that no parcels would be distributed. A small group of Americans had protested the arrangement, insisting that only they were entitled to the gifts from the American Red Cross. In other words, they demanded seven and a half parcels for each American with none. For the other prisoners. Disgusted. The commandant appealed to Tokyo for a decision. And for ten days, Gilkey and the other Americans had to face the resentment and hostility of prisoners from other nations. Gilkey reports. Now, these are Gilkey's words. It was the same story all over. A community where everyone had long forgotten whether a man was American or British, white, Negro, Jew, Parsi or Indian, had suddenly disintegrated into a brawling, bitterly divided collection of hostile national groups. Ironically, our wondrous Christmas gift had brought in its wake the exact opposite of peace on earth. The massive mounds of life-giving parcels lay inert in the center of the camp, while gusts of human conflict and ill will swirled turbulently around them. For the first time, Gilkey notes, I felt fundamentally humiliated at being an American. Nancy picks it up. The Japanese authorities, not known for their sense of justice, in this case, showed more of it than the prisoners. Tokyo ordered that each prisoner would receive one parcel with the extra 100 parcels to be distributed instead to other camps. All because of American greed. What's the credo again? This countercultural credo? He must increase. She must increase. They must increase. But I, but you, but we must decrease. Just like John? Nope. Just like Jesus, who emptied himself and for our sakes became poor so that we through his poverty might become rich. Just like Jesus.
we must decrease. 